pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. chapter. We'll start with the first verse, but before I even start this morning, I want to make it clear that what I'm about to say is not about a political party. It's not about one's color, creed, or national origin. It's not about any political affiliation. It doesn't make any difference who you are, or where you came from, or what party you're affiliated with, or if you're not affiliated with a party, it doesn't make any difference. This is about what the Bible calls evil and good, right or wrong. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with my opinion or your opinion. The only thing that should really matter to us as Christians is God's opinion and God's word, what God says and thinks. That's what we should be concerned with. And if God says something is right, then it's right. If he says it's wrong, it's wrong. If he says it's a sin, it's a sin, period. In the sentence. And I don't care how modern or how progressive or how woke our society has become. The God of the Bible has not changed his mind about anything he has said or did. He's the same yesterday and today and forever. He's unchangeable. Amen? So God's word doesn't adapt to the times or the culture or the generations. It doesn't change. Not one jot or tittle, not even the punctuation marks in God's word will ever change. And now that being said, turn with me to Isaiah 63. Now I will have to disguise a few things that I say today and talk in code just a little bit to avoid certain algorithms that would take us off the air. And uh, it will help if you're familiar with the military alphabet or the NATO alphabet. You basically take the first letter uh, of the alphabet and put them all together to form a word. I'll try not to do too much of that, but just write the letters down as I give them and then you can put them together. It'll only take you a second. But for example, Hotel Echo Lima Lima Oscar would be hello. Hotel, Echo, Lima, Lima, Oscar. Hello. That's not too hard. But it's something that won't be picked up. And you say, well, you're telling them right now. No, they're not watching us right now. They won't even look at us. There's millions of videos going out this morning. They don't have time or the, the resources to look at them all or watch them all. But what happens is if you say a certain word that's in their algorithms, it will catch that word and then single you out, set you aside to be viewed later. So we should make it through the broadcast as far as I understand it. 
And, and if anything else that catch us later and, and censor us then or remove us or give us a warning. Right, Brother Darrell? But anyway, Isaiah 63, verse 1 through 6. This is in the New King James Version. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? This one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak in righteousness, mighty to save. Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. I looked, but there was no one to help, and I wondered that there was no one to uphold. Therefore, my own arm brought salvation for me, and my own fury is sustained me. I have trodden down the peoples in my anger, made them drunk in my fury, and brought down their strength to the earth. Prophet Isaiah. Who is this who comes from Edom with dyed garments from Bozrah? And in the original language, that the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew, this actually means, who is he that is coming from the side of the red wearing garments of grief? And then it says, who is this that comes from the red grieved because of all the treachery that's been perpetuated? That's what it actually means in the original language. We lose things in translations. That's why you have to be able to... Now, I'm not a... Hebrew or a Greek scholar. Uh, I don't know Aramaic, but I have books that I can look to. And I can look up these words in the Hebrew and the Greek and the Aramaic. I can look them up in the Old Testament, the New Testament, and the Septuagint, which is written. It's a, a, a translation of the New Testament written in Greek. And there's books that help me. So I'm not claiming to be a, a brain or a Bible scholar. I'm far from that. But, you know, even Einstein said, you don't have to know everything. You just have to know where to get the information. And that's in books. Amen? But our opening passage of Scripture this morning is actually a prophecy of the Lord's second coming. Not the rapture, but his second coming when he physically touches down on the earth. But like uh, with many scriptures, there is usually a literal, physical application and also a spiritual application. Uh, some of it is meant for natural Israel, and some of it is meant for spiritual Israel. That's who we are. We're spiritual Israel. And Isaiah is describing here the battle of Armageddon. And before this great battle, Israel, or what's left of her, because they're, uh, they're going to lose like two-thirds of their population. Now, right now, there's a little over six million Israelites in Israel, and, and two-thirds of them are going to die in the tribulation period, just to give you an idea of how horrible it's going to be. It may be one-third. I, I, I can't say for sure. It, it seems like it's two-thirds, but I may not be remembering it correctly. But a whole lot of them are going to lose their lives in the um, tribulation period. 
And it's actually talking about the prophecy of his second coming when he returns to earth. But like with many scriptures, again, there's a spiritual application, and that's what we're going to get to in a minute. But I want to explain some of the literal physical parts of the prophecy. Isaiah is describing the battle of Armageddon. I know it's hard to get that from there, but again, books and the Holy Ghost and the Word of God. So, uh, But before this great battle, Israel, or what's left of her, will be taken to a place of refuge that God reserved for her for the last three and a half years of the tribulation period. And there they will be protected from the Antichrist and his armies. Uh, I think this is where the United States comes in uh, because we're allied with Israel and we will remain allies with Israel and I believe that we're going to help them get to that safe place. Now what makes it safe is God himself. Now the Bible talks about when the, when the armies of the Antichrist come in like a flood that God will open the ground and swallow these armies up. So I think that they will not be hidden. They will know uh, the Antichrist will know where they're at, but he won't be able to touch them. And then the dyed garments that he's talking about in verses 2 and 3 are explained as being colored from the blood of the soldiers at Armageddon, which is compared to the great wine press of God's wrath. Bozrah was one of the great cities of Edom and Moab, and the Messiah is coming to conquer, uh, coming as a conqueror to fulfill this part of the prophecy, the passage says, I have trodden the winepress alone of the people. There was none with me. Now, Christ will literally appear over Edom, where Israel is being protected uh, from the Antichrist, and they will physically see him. He'll probably still be in the air, but they will see him. And uh, when they do, They'll see him in his descent towards Jerusalem, uh, where the battle of Armageddon is being fought. And they will say, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Remember they said that when he entered the great city of Jerusalem, uh, riding on a donkey before he was crucified. Well, now he's coming in all his glory. And they will once again see it, but they'll have a better understanding of it this time because they didn't believe it was him the first time. That's why he got crucified. But then his feet will physically touch down on the Mount of Olives on the east of Jerusalem, overlooking the valley of Megiddo, where the battle of, the Ar of, of Armageddon will take place and be fought with between him and the Antichrist. And the reason he says, I alone trod in the, the grapes is because none of the people he was coming to save will be with him. But we are the Raptured saints will return with him to the battle of Armageddon. But when he sets down on that mountain, he'll be the only one sitting down there. And uh, the reason he says he's alone is because he's not coming to fight with them, with Israel, with us. He's coming to fight against the Antichrist. By himself. The Bible says he will destroy their armies with the brightness of his coming. He's just going to turn on the glory. But when he sets on the mountain, the Bible tells us the mountain will split and it will cleave 
and it will create a great valley in between the mountains. And uh, that's just a demonstration of his power. Just touching down on the mountain, now, the mountain just completely splits. And along with it, trembles and earthquakes and all kinds of stuff. And that's just a little uh, demonstration. And again, he's not coming to fight with them. He's coming to fight for them. And the day of vengeance in our passage of scripture refers to the greatest destruction that the earth has ever seen or ever will see. Multitudes upon multitudes are going to be destroyed. And, and most of them will be destroyed in one day at the Battle of Armageddon. And this will be the time of the full restoration of Israel to God and their deliverance from their enemies. Now we'll be with Christ, and, but we will not be engaging in this battle. He's got to prove to them that he and he alone is God. And then Isaiah said, and I looked and there was none to help. And I wondered that there was none to uphold. Therefore mine own arm brought salvation unto me and my fury, it upheld me. So this verse expresses the idea that God and God alone would bring salvation to Israel. And there would be no man involved in the deliverance of God's people. That was literal Israel, physical Israel, but God also has us, his people. So this is deliverance for all of God's people. Now this is the point I wanted to bring us to. Everything so far was prophetic of a literal and physical future event that will literally take place where God will show Israel the Antichrist and all his followers once and for all who the true God is and how powerful he is. And you know, it seems like people want to challenge God all the time. And God is just sitting quietly waiting for the time. And uh, because of that, we people think that uh, they're getting a leg up on God. And they're being able to do things because God don't want to bother with them or whatever. But that's not the case at all. God does nothing outside of his timing. And you could pray and you could wish and you could cry and you could wail and do all you want. But nothing's going to happen before God's time. I've seen this personally in my life, and you probably have as well. There was times that I prayed and thought, uh, God let me down. I was disappointed. Where were you? Why didn't you? Blah, blah, blah. But I realized when the time came, God will move, and nothing, no demon in hell, no man on earth will be able to stop him. And this is a demonstration of that. So... Uh, there's no doubt that this is a literal, physical event that Isaiah is describing, and it will happen in the natural realm. But through the law of double reference, there are other things we can glean from this prophecy of Isaiah. And the first thing we need to understand is that we must never look to a man for our deliverance or our salvation, no matter who he is. Hello? Never look to a man. Thank God for Tango, Romeo, Umbrella, Mike, Papa. Thank God for him. God can and has, and I believe we'll use him again, but he's only a vessel. And we can't look to him as our savior or our salvation or our deliverer. Deliverance comes from one place, and that's what Isaiah is telling us here. It comes from one place. 
It will come from God, and we need to lift our eyes a little higher. Psalms 103, 2 through 4 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thine diseases. And then it says, Who redeemeth thy life from destruction. So I need to ask you this morning, who's doing the forgiving? Who's doing the healing? Who's doing the delivering from destruction? Again, he may use a man. He may use several men. He may use a system. But he's the one that brings the deliverance. Psalms 107.20 says, He sent his word and healed them and delivered them from all their destruction. Who did? He did. God did. Amen? So God may use a man, but God is the only one that can deliver us from our destruction. And as you know, man is a destructive rascal. We're walking in destruction all the time. It's all around us. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. We're in the shadow of it all the time. But he's our deliverer. Now in Psalms 127.1, it says, Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh, but in vain. So the Lord has to be involved in everything that we build. If not, it will be done in vain, and it will not last. What we build, or for that matter, rebuild, must be built on a firm foundation, one that can't be moved or shaken. And that takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Now, you might not like to hear this, but for the last couple of years, we've been building on a foundation. Brick by brick, little by little, here a little, there a little. But we're building. Amen? Amen. And I'm not making excuses for the Lord or what's happened or what didn't happen. He don't need anybody to make excuses for him. But when we build, the first thing that we have to consider is the foundation. Without a firm foundation, the structure is not going to last. Uh, remember the man that built his house on sand? And then the other man that built his house on, a, on, on the rock, I might say. You know, one was building on shifting sand. The other one was building on the foundation of the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. And he was building on the word of God. That is the only sure foundation that we can build on. Well, the same storm came. Same wind, same rain, everything. One was destroyed and the other one was still standing. Unblemished. Unhurt. And that was the man who built on the rock. So the foundation is important. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10, and 11, it says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereupon. But it, let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We have a sure foundation to build on. Don't be looking for another foundation. 
Don't be building your own foundation. It's already been laid for us. It's right here in the word of God. And this is what we must build everything on. And if we don't, it's not going to last. And again, our foundation is the revelation that Jesus is the Christ. Remember when he was in Caesarea Philippi? They're on a little retreat. And he said, whom do men say that I am? And they come up with all their crazy ideas and stuff. But Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And he says, Peter, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father which is in heaven. In other words, you just got a revelation, boy. You got a rhema word that didn't come from a man. It came from my Father in heaven. And he says, upon this rock, I shall build my church. What rock? The rock of the revelation that he is the Christ. The rock of the revelation that the word of God is our foundation to build upon. Hallelujah. So no matter who's doing the building, there's only one true, lasting, and reliable foundation. And if you're not building on that foundation, then whatever you're building, whether it's a family, a marriage, a career, a house, or even a city, or a nation, it is not going to last. Unless you're building on that foundation. you got to conduct your business, conduct your marriage, conduct your affairs. And no matter what it is, you got to conduct them according to the word of God. That's what you're building on. Our great nation was built by the founding fathers on the foundation of that revelation that Jesus is the Christ and on the word of God. And whatever we add to this building must be built on that foundation that God has already provided. And if anyone builds anything else outside of the will of God and tries to add it to this foundation, the building that we're building, it's going to crumble and fail. It's not going to make it. And because we're building on the foundation that God has provided for us, like Paul said, he's a chief, he's, he's a chief master builder, and we can't build on any other foundation than that which he has laid. And the foundation he laid was preaching the gospel and the word of God and that Jesus is the Christ. He says that's the foundation we have to build on. And if we do, it will stand. The structure will stand no matter what it is, a city or a nation. This is God's building. And it's on a sure foundation. Don't be looking for it to fail. Don't be looking for it to crumble and fall. Because it's not. It's built on God's word. It's established on God's word. And we're living in evil times. They're all around us. You don't know how evil. You don't know how deep the evil is. But the thing about evil is that it doesn't have a foundation to build on. It has to piggyback on something that has already been built and take good and turn it to evil and take wrong and turn it to right. It uses something that's already there that somebody else built and it uses that for evil. Takes something good and renders it evil. Where God takes something evil and renders it good. Whether it's a plane, 
in 2001, a car at a gas station, a weapon, a political office, a social media platform, an educational system, a law enforcement agency, or whatever it is, they'll piggyback on that and turn it evil. Yeah. It could be uh, especially in Echo, Lima, Echo, Charlie, Tango, India, Oscar, November. Echo, Lima, Echo, Charlie, Tango, India, Oscar, November. They can take that and weaponize it against good. And evil will always take something that was meant for good and weaponize it and use it to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what evil does. That's the devil's job. He come to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus came to give life and that more abundantly. So they took the greatest law enforcement agencies in the world and weaponized them to use against good. The Foxtrot Bravo India and the Delta Oscar Juliet and others and used them against good. Every door they kicked in are Roma Echo Deltas. I could think of a few Bravo Lima Umbrella Echo doors that need to be kicked in, but they won't be. At least not yet. And the way that we could get that power is to give you something that you want and something that you desire, get you addicted to it, and then take it away. For example, evil and wickedness, I'm not talking about a political party, I'm just saying evil and wickedness will give you free drugs. They'll pass it out on the corner. Make it easily available. And then once you're hooked on it and have to have it, it will cost you everything and you'll be willing to pay. It's not only drugs though. It's almost anything that's free. God don't want us looking for free handouts. He wants to be our provider. Free money, free education, free health care, free daycare, free groceries, free cell phone, or anything else. If it's free, it's for me. But once they get you addicted to the benefits, then you will do anything to keep them up to and including you will support an evil, wicked agenda and even Victor Oscar Tango Echo for a devil. God said if we put him first and not the alternative, the golf actor Victor abbreviation for you know who, it will add, he will add all these things to us that the Gentiles seek. All these things that they want for free, God will give them to us freely if we put him first. That's the condition. Yeah. Yeah. So I put him first. I don't ever have to worry about my need being met. Amen? Yeah. Where people get up in the morning and go to work, 
come home at night, go to bed, get up in the morning, do the same thing over and over. Their families are going to hell in the hand basket, and all they're doing is trying to get more and get more and get more. Some people get two jobs. Why? Put God first. He'll make a way for you to meet all those needs without killing yourself and neglecting your family. Social media platforms. They've been weaponized against the good for a long time now. And yet we still walk around with that handheld device. I won't even call it a phone because it's a computer with a phone app on it. It's not a phone. It is a computer. And we'll walk around with that computer stuck to our nose. And even though they're using our information and the things we say against us, we're so addicted to them that we can't put them down. I can mention a few of them and just tell you right out, they're not your friends. They don't care about you. They just want to use you and get information from you that they will later use against you. Evil, wickedness, has censored God's voice. And again, I don't care if you're what party you're affiliated with, it's, it's on both sides. Wickedness and evil is on both sides. But they censored God's voice. Our voice. I'm going to do this one slow. But they've taken away our Foxtrot, Romeo, Echo, Echo, Delta, Oscar, Mike. Sierra Papa Echo Echo Charlie Hotel. They've taken it away from us. There's a man that just purchased one of these platforms. It's a big platform. He paid a lot of money for it. And now he's cleaning house. And he is being personally attacked for one reason and one reason only. Because he's trying to restore that Thing we lost. But you might not like him. And I ain't real crazy about him either because he straddles the fence. You don't know where he's going or whose side he's on or whatever, but every once in a while he shows some promise. But regardless of what we think of us, he's trying to restore our Foxtrot Romeo Echo Echo. Sierra Papa Echo Echo Charlie Hotel. He's trying to restore that, and I admire him for that. And that's why they want to crucify him. How about the false prophets of Baal? I can talk about them. The November Echo Whiskey Sierra. November Echo Whiskey Sierra. How about them? How they've been weaponized against us. They weaponize these things to use against us and millions of people hang on their every word, swallowing one lie right after another. That's right. But if we speak up, we'll be shut up. Yet they can say anything they want to and get away with it. They took something good and turned it to evil. 
And Isaiah is saying that those that come from the red should be grieved by all the treachery and should do something about all the stealing, killing, and destroying that is going on. Yet it seems, and I emphasize seems, that the majority is going along with it, and that includes much of the church. And I don't think I have to prove it. I mean, the numbers show it. What just happened a week or so ago shows it. But that doesn't mean that I'm conceding to anything that's happened here in the past week or so. It's not over until God says it's over. But let me show you what I mean. Evil and wickedness can openly and publicly show their support for Baal worship, but we can't openly and publicly show our support or worship the God of our choice. If you do, you'll be censored. But they're not. They're being the wicked and the evil. Now, I'm not going to get into that, but I know uh, people say it's a conspiracy and we're crazy and all of this stuff here, but just Google the open and closing ceremonies of the Commonwealth Games in England this past summer, and then Google this phrase, the Arches of Baal. Just Google it. And you'll see what I'm talking about. I think I can say this. The World Economic Forum, the WEF, under the leadership of Klaus Schwab, along with uh, a number of so-called global elites, many of them abide in this country, and the oligarchs, are trying to change the world through what is called the Great Romeo Echo Sierra Echo Tango. They're trying to change the world and usher in this Romo, Romeo Echo Sierra Echo Tango. And it's all for the purpose of preparing for the advent of the beast of Revelation, the Antichrist. They, now, these things that I'm saying, it's, it's no big secret. You can Google them. Uh, it's in the news all the time, even though we don't watch the news, but it's in the news if you're interested. Uh, he's written books. There's all kinds of things about him on YouTube. Just Google it for yourself. But they follow the advice of and are directed by a false prophet by the name of Yuval Noah Harari. I, I've talked about him before, especially on a Wednesday night. And usually in the past when I've taught on these types of things. We didn't record it. We didn't go live on Facebook. I'm sorry for that, but it wouldn't have went far anyway. But they hinge on his every word. Who does? The, the global elites and the oligarchs and the ones that want to usher in this great Romeo Echo Sierra Echo Tango. They hang on his every word. They hinge on his every word. And this is just my opinion, but I believe that he is the false prophet described in the book of Revelation. If he's not, he's the strongest type of the false prophet that I've ever seen. And he thinks he's a god. 
And he blasphemes the one and only true God of heaven by saying things like Jesus Christ and his resurrection is nothing but fake news. He said, we don't worship the God above the clouds. He says, we worship the cloud. And he's talking about the Microsoft cloud or the IBM cloud. That's who they worship. They worship technology, modern technology. He blasphemes our God all the time. And yet they write articles about him. They broadcast him in the news. They put him on YouTube. They interview him on the night shows. And there was a time when our society would have never tolerated the blaspheming of Jesus Christ. They want, you try that stuff over in Islam, over in, a, uh, in the Middle East, in an Islam country. Uh, uh, a... Uh, country that follows Muhammad, a country that follows Islam. You try that junk over there and see what happens. That's how this country would have been. It used to be. If somebody blasphemed Jesus Christ, especially in public, we would have been outraged. There would have been demonstrations and they would have boycotted and they would have shut places down and everything else. But now, no problem. I'm not going to go there, but her name is Madonna. But anyway, uh, there was a time when society wouldn't have accepted that kind of stuff. Now we, we accept it readily. I mean, he's saying these types of things, and where's the outcry? Where's the outrage? Why isn't the church rising up? Because much of the church is involved in it. He's a sworn atheist, and yet it seems like he's always talking about the God that he says doesn't exist. He said, we don't worship the God of the Bible. He says, all the God of the Bible ever managed to create is trees, a draft, and humans. He seems to forget that he's a human, and the same God that gave him breath can take it away. He said, we're going to go beyond the God of the Bible, and we're going to create cybers. We're going to some type of uh, merging between a human and a machine, and we're going to control them with a chip. Uh, you know the 5G network? That wasn't created for better internet reception. That's probably all I like to say about that. But why are they allowed to say anything they want? But if we say something, if we try to uh, give the truth, we're silenced. Why are they allowed to say anything they want? And then when we tell the truth, it's a conspiracy. Well, I got news for you. The things that were once a conspiracy have become a reality. The false prophet said that two years ago is when humanity agreed to be surveyed under the skin. That's all I'm going to say about that. What does that mean, to be surveyed under the skin? We agreed to it. 
We signed a paper, took a test, wore a mask. They also want to reduce the population of the world. At first he said we have no need of humans. And then he said that we have no need of so many humans. They want to depopulate the world. That's why they fight so hard to legalize the termination of babies. If you take a map of the U.S. of A, got a map here of the U.S. of A, and you look all the way to the left, look all the way to the left, can't go any further left, or you'd be in the water, look that far left. And you will see there a state whose leader just signed into law a bill that allows babies to be murdered up to 28 days after birth. Birth the baby, set it on a cold metal table, wheel it over to the mother and father and say, you want it or not? Uh, nah. Kill it right down the table. Or, I'm not sure. Well, take it home. Test drive it. If you're not happy within 28 days, bring it back and we'll kill it then. I, I know this sounds crazy, but you can't make this up. This is a law that was passed in the left state. And they say that everything starts in the left and sweeps to the right. But you know what? The killing of babies is Baal worship. That's the thrust of Baal worship. And God hates it. He hates it. Because when Israel was a nation in the Old Testament and they mingled with those of another race or the heathen, and intermingled and intermarried with the heathen, they were taught the heathen's way of worshiping, and their faith was too weak to stick with the one true and only God, and they went towards the worship of Baal, and they would take their babies and bring it to a demon god that they called Molech, and they would lay that baby in his arms. He was a a big iron statue, and they lay that baby in his arms, and there would be a big fire underneath, and they would sacrifice their children. But before they did, they would they would carry that baby through an arch, an archway, to the place of sacrifice. And that arch was called the Arch of Baal. The Arch of Baal. So sacrificing of the babies is a is Baal worship. But as bad as things are, and I know that there are a lot of discouraged people right now, because they thought they were going to see a lot more Romeo Echo Delta and a lot less Bravo Lima Umbrella Echo last Tuesday, but it didn't happen. But all I can say Again, I'm not going to make excuses for God. All I'm going to say is it's not over yet. 
and we can't quit now. They have challenged the God of the Bible to a showdown with Baal. And I know from history and I know from the word of God that that didn't turn out so good for them the last time they did. And all I can say, you vow, is there is a God and you are not him. And he will make that very clear sooner than later. But I want you to know, we're not alone or forsaken. God is still on our side. And you see, the one thing about evil and wickedness, like I said before, it has no real foundation. It's piggybacking on top of something that's good. And God gave the children of Israel a land that flowed with milk and honey. He called it the promised land. And he told them, I've given it to you, but you have to go in and possess it. But that didn't happen overnight. There was a process that had to take place. You didn't just bum rush the land and take over. You couldn't do it. You, you weren't strong enough. You didn't have the strategies yet. There was too many lessons that you needed to learn before you can do certain things. And when you're waiting for something from God, these are the questions you should ask yourself. Am I ready? Is there something I need to do? Is there a lesson I need to learn? Am I supposed to do something before I can do this thing or get this thing that you promised me? There were giants in the land, walled cities, rivers to be crossed, mountains to climb, valleys to cross over. And they had to be done through a process of time. It couldn't be done overnight. They had to be conquered one by one, a little at a time. And God didn't take them straight to the promised land. I mean, the promised land was an 11-day journey from Egypt. And it took them 40 years to get there. He could have taken them if he wanted to. But they would have never been able to conquer it, and they would have never been able to uh, maintain it if they did conquer it. They needed to learn some things before they were ready to go in and possess the land that God gave them. And they had to learn those things in the wilderness. God showed them the rebellion they had in them. He showed them their weaknesses, how they would... How if they're left alone for five minutes, they they engrave a golden calf and worship an idol. I mean, a, a golden calf. It was actually a bull. It was actually Baal. They would go back to Baal worship, just just because Moses went up in the mountain and and Joshua went with him, uh, and he stood at the bottom. Moses went up. That little time they were gone, even the high priest lost his religion. And they come down from the mountain and they're worshiping the golden calf. God had to get all of that junk out of them before they would be ready to go into the promised land. There was things in the land that had to be dealt with before we were ready to take it. I got to be careful here, but I'm going to tell you something. 
We had two years to take care of this, the things that we're experiencing right now. We did a pretty good job in at least 33 states, but in 17 states, we didn't get the job done. And we're feeling the effects of it now. It's the church's job. Where was the church? If this country is 80% Christian, where were they? So don't tell me we're ready to go in and conquer this land. We're not ready. That's why we keep losing it. But anyway, the things they needed to learn, they learned in the wilderness the hard way. And when you don't want, when you don't learn your lessons, you find yourself going around the mountain over and over and over and over again for 40 years if necessary. Until a whole generation dies out if necessary. And he raises up a new generation that don't have those things in them. God made it simple. He said, if you keep your commandments in Deuteronomy 11, 22 and 23, I'm just going to paraphrase. If you keep his commandments, which in the New Testament is to love him with all your heart, soul, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. If we keep that commandment and walk in his ways and cleave to him, he said that he will give us possession of the land. Amen. Apparently that hasn't happened yet. I'm not mad at you. I'm mad at the devil, and I'm mad at not doing the things that God has called us to do. Turn to Exodus 23, and I'm going to close with this. Exodus 23, verse 30. Now, this is a literal, natural thing. Happened to physical, natural Israel. But there's also a spiritual application here. He says, by little and little, not one fell swoop, right? He said, little by little, I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. He's going to do the driving out. We have to do the increasing. Amen. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea even unto the sea of the Philistines, the Bravo Lima Uniform Echo Sea, and from the desert, the dry places, unto the river, for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. How's this going to happen? You just keep my commandments and cleave to me, and I'll take care of the rest. Verse 32, thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor their gods. And for every deceived church and body of believers that did side with them, all I can say is God have mercy on them. Thou shalt make no covenant with them. Don't be standing on their platform. Don't be promoting the things that they're promoting. 
You stick to me. You cleave to me. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. They're dwelling in the land because they made us sin against them for the benefits and the addictions that we can't seem to live without. They shall not dwell in thy land lest they make thee sin against me for if thou serve their gods it will surely be a snare unto thee. I'm telling you everybody that stood on that platform with evil and wickedness they're in a snare. And if they don't come to their senses and repent and get on their face before God, they're going to go down with them. So anyway, the title of my message, I forgot to give it, is What Do We Do Now? What do we do now? Well, we obey God. We cleave to him. We trust God. And we keep the faith. We don't cross over. We keep the faith. We be patient and not grow weary in well-doing. But let me just say this. It's not as bad as you think. And if you think it's bad, it's because you have been listening to the false prophets of Baal instead of getting your nose in the book. And seeing what the one and only true God has to say. Yes. Amen? Amen? It's not over yet. Little by little. Yes. One at a time if necessary. But this thing ain't wrapped up yet. They think it is. Uh, I think the rest of them have to stay off there, Brother Darrell. Facebook family, I hope you get to, to watch this. Share it with your friends. I, I tried to avoid certain algorithms. I don't know if I did a good job or not, so it might not be on Facebook long. So try to get it to somebody before it's gone. God bless you. We love you. See you next week. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord.